Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. I just want to say thank you for praying for our family. Thank you for praying for me. God taught me a lot in that season. They tell me I need to be a better servant <laughs> and stuff, but God is good, amen? amen? Hey, guys, if you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John. If you go to the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fourth book of the Bible. We're going to be journeying through the Gospel of John in, during this year in 2022. My sermon, style, sermon series is going to be called Believe. We're going to look at that this morning as we look at the prologue of the story, as we look at God's Word this morning. We're going to be studying... Um, Verses 1 through 18 this morning. I love to watch magic. And uh, one of the shows I watch sometimes is Penn and Teller. Fool, up, fool Me or Fool Us. I don't know if you've seen that show. It's on TV. Where what they do is magicians come and they try to do their tricks in front of Penn and Teller with the hopes that they can kind of get, a, kind of get over them and see if, they, if Penn and Teller can really figure out what they're really doing. And if they win, they get to get a trophy for Fool Us trophy, but they also get an opportunity to perform in Las Vegas before Penn and Teller. But you, what you have to understand is Penn and, Penn and Teller are no novices to the trade, right? They've been doing this, being magicians for over 20 plus years. They know every, every sleight of hand. They know every trick in the book, right? It, it's, it's very difficult to come up with something new that Penn and Teller um, already know for themselves, right? They're all familiar with all the techniques that are out there as it relates to being a, a magician, right? So they're not easily fooled. I'm going to tell you something this morning. We have an enemy this morning who wants to pull the wool over our eyes. He wants to trick us, but if we don't know what we believe, you will be easily fooled, right? If, if you haven't studied the scriptures to know the truth, you'll be easily fooled by the lies. In fact, the gospel of John, as we're going to be journeying through it, is giving us the gift to know the truth. It's the apostle John who is the eyewitness of the accounts of Jesus. And as we hope to journey through this book and walk and learn about the truth, we can get the same encouragement that John would speak at the end of his life, which was this. I have no greater joy to hear that my children walk in the truth. Guys, we're, we're studying the, the gospel of John. And I said the sermon series called Believe. And this is the last gospel written at the close of the first century, about 80 or 90 A.D. is when this book was written. And John had a purpose in writing this book. And we find that purpose in the latter part of his book as he begins to close the book in John chapter 20, verse 31, that says this. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving you may have life in his name. In fact, the word believe is mentioned over a hundred times in the gospel of John because there are some truths that we have to come to believe. But ultimately, we need to believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. That's who we need to believe in. We know that John is the author of this book, as you see, the gospel of John, right? John is the brother of James and John, Right, The sons of Zebedee, we studied the, the family of Zebedee. Miss Zebedee was the one that came with the sons and asked for his kids to sit at the right hand and the left. We studied that. Right, They were the ones that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. They were at the Sea of Galilee when Jesus called them. And James and John were with Peter and Andrew when the fish was overflowing. This is the author of this book. He was the one that Jesus called the beloved or the one Jesus loved. He was part of Jesus' inner circle with Peter, James, and John. And he saw things that others did not see as it relates to the disciples. This is the same John when Jesus was at the cross. You remember this? And he's about to die and he gives the responsibility to, to John to care for Mary, his, his mother. This is the John that wrote many books of the Bible, the Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. He is the author of this very book. In fact, if you study the Gospel, which we're going to do compared to the other, he takes on more a, a theological bend. He's going to be more theology in this Gospel than any other Gospel. In fact, John's writing focuses more on Jesus' identity 
than his activity. In fact, Jesus and his title Christ are mentioned more times in the scriptures. Jesus and Christ are mentioned 170 times in the gospel of John. John is an apologist. He's a defender of the faith. And he's presenting, in in his gospel, he's presenting Jesus as God, and he will share the reasons why he is God. Now, it's very interesting. We know that the number seven is the number of perfection. We have a seven days a week. But you look at the number in the gospel of John, there, there are actually, what? There are actually seven signs he's going to perform in the gospel of John. There are seven I am statements in the gospel of John. In fact, in chapter one, there are seven titles for who Jesus is. You're going to see these things laid out through the gospel of John. See, I don't want to just, I want to, I don't want to just preach to you about Jesus. I want to teach you about who Jesus is today. Because in the teaching, you'll be able to be equipped for the preaching, for the sharing this morning. And so we're going to be looking at the prologue. We know the scriptures has challenged us that we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. But you have to know the truth in order to worship him in spirit and truth. And so that's my goal is with this study as we go through it, that you're going to know who Jesus really is. You're going to know the one you've been singing about this morning. You're going, to, you're going to worship the one because you know him more intimately as we go through this book. And as we go through this book, I hope this book is going through you this morning. That his word, you'll be sanctified with his word. You'll be washed in his word. You'll be encouraged by his word. You'll be filled up by his words. Because later on he writes, I write these things that your joy might be full. That you spirit great joy as we go through this gospel. So before we start, let's pray in. Well, let's read and then we'll pray in. Starting in verse 1, we're to verse 18. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word and the teaching of your word. Because your word says that when we hear your word, there's a blessing that will come. And so I pray through the promises of your word this morning that, Father, your people would be blessed this morning. They're blessed because they're gathering. They're blessed because you're hearing the words. They're, they're blessed because they're growing and falling deeper in love with you. So I pray this morning that when they leave this place, Lord, Father, they're encouraged and built up and blessed people. And so I ask your anointing upon our time this morning in the study of your word. We thank you and we praise you and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. We look at a couple things as we study through the prologue or the beginning of the scriptures of John chapter 1. First of all, God, you understand this, that God was in the beginning. We see that in verses 1 through 5, right? That the Word existed in the beginning. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Here's the first of one seven titles. Remember I said there are seven titles for Jesus in chapter 1. Here's the first one, that God is the Word, that Jesus is the Word. That he's, he's the Logos, And we see that here this morning. And we're going to look at his deity. Right at the beginning, John's not mixing words. He's going to say, let me tell you something about who Jesus is. And Jesus is God. I'm going to bring you straight to the beginning. It's not going to be found at the end of the story. It's going to be found at the beginning of the story. 
And so we see that here, right? The idea of the word was something the first century Jews would have been familiar with. In fact, the Jewish scriptures commentary called the Targum contains references to God as memra, which means the word. But if you look at the Greeks, the Greeks looked at the organization or the structure of the universe, the, the seasons and the stars and the days and the times and the nights. They came up with a concept to describe that as the word logos or the word. So when John begins to open up the scriptures with this verse, in the beginning was the word, was the logos, each of the Jews and the Greeks would have understood what he was going to do. But what he does is the Greeks thought that the word was like a force. You know, we think of like Star Wars, right? Luke, truck the force. But that's, that's not what this is. Jesus said it's, that God is not a force, but he's a person. Okay? And so he's writing this book to come right off the bat to say, I'm going to tell you who God is. Because a lot of people say, I don't know if there's a God. Some of us are agnostics say, I don't know. I don't know if there's something out there. But he, John is going to address that issue right away. And at the very beginning, there was the word that Jesus was the pre-existent God. We see that in verse 1 and 14, right? What does it mean But in the beginning was the word? He's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And we've studied this a little bit uh, uh, last month in December as we looked at this Christmas story a little bit here. He's referencing Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. That's the Hebrew word, the plural, plural word for God. Again, we see their plural, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God. The Spirit hovered over the darkness of the earth. Here it says that Jesus was in the beginning. And so what do you have? You see a picture of the Trinity, right? Let me tell you something. The Bible does not try to prove the existence of God. It presumes it. It already believes it. God is the uncreated creator. Nobody created God. God is. He's the I am, right? When Moses asked who you are, who should say came to me when he was came out, came out to go to Egypt? He said what? Tell him that I am. I am that I am. He wasn't Popeye. I am that I am. He I am that I am. Okay, don't get it mixed up now. Okay? He, he's talking about the present, right? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. That's who we're looking at, the Logos, right? And so we see that he's the pre-existing God. In the beginning was the word, the pre-existing. He's before the beginning of time. The word was with God. That's Jesus is the word here. He's coexistent with the Father. He coexistent with, the, with God. He's co-equal with the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Right? Jesus speaking to Philip. What did he tell Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so we see that at the beginning. And the word was God. Self-existent. What is John saying here? The Apostle John. He's making a claim. He's making a confession. He's making a pronouncement that Jesus is God. Church, we believe that Jesus is God. He was a prophet. Yes, he was a good teacher. Yes, but he was God. That's who we worship. That's who we believe. In fact, when you read his books at the end of his life, when you go all the way to 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, for those who are taking notes, it says, and we know that the Son of God, that's Jesus, has come and given us understanding that we know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, who his, his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is the true God and eternal life, right? And the true God was in the beginning. That's what John's opening up. He's in the beginning. He's at the start. He was at the beginning line. Jesus was here. But we also know this about the Word. The Word was the creator. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The order or the origin of the world came into existence by God. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Jesus was in the beginning at the creation. In fact, the word, word he made, it says, all things were made through him. The word made translates, became, uh, refers to an event rather than a process. God said, and so it was. 
Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be vegetation, and there was vegetation, right? And Jesus was with God in the creation. In fact, we see in Genesis 1.27, it says, let us, plural, let us make man in our image. Do you see the plural there? It's a, it's a plural God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Back all the way in the beginning in Genesis, right? I think people have a hard time with science and faith together. But I believe they work together. I believe they work together. In fact, scientists call the atomic force that holds everything together, the nucleus of, of an atom, atomic glue. The Bible identifies this glue as Jesus Christ. It says here in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now look at verse 17. He is before all things, pre-existence, and in him all things hold together. Yeah. See, 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 we could, we could put science and faith together because they work together because we have an architect, we have a designer, we have a one who's put it and grafted and put it all together. That's the one we worship. Jesus is the super glue, right? In fact, Charles Darwin, what? Charles Darwin, the evolutionist, the creator of the Big Bang Theory. I think that's why John opens up this book with a big bang about who Jesus is. Okay, said this. It says this. To suppose that, to suppose that the eye with all its inimitable contravances for adjusting focuses in different distances, for emitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberrations, I mean what you see, okay? Because you're breaking down these big words, right? You're all like, what, Pastor? What are you talking about? Okay? Could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. He said that, right? What was he saying is, I, I've come to understand all these details of eye and how it works and sees wasn't just happenstance. There had to be a designer. Jesus is the artist, the designer, the architect of the world. People talk about intelligent design. Jesus is the one that designed it all. God is the one that designed it all. That's why we worship the creator rather than the creation. We have to understand that this morning. But the word, we see the word here, logos in humanity. Look at verse four and five. And in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. Right? Jesus was the sustainer and is the sustainer of life. Amen. Right? Jesus is the giver of physical life. We breathe today because he allows us to breathe. And that of spiritual life. In fact, the word here, in him was life. The word life is mentioned in the Gospel of John, 36 times, the New Living Translation would translate this verse 4. The Word brought life to everything created. <laughs> he brought life to everything created. Why? Because Christ is humanity's ultimate hope. Amen. God is our hope in these times. In fact, he gives warning to the, an enemy who wants to help us not see the lights. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, it says, but even if the gospel is veiled, it cannot be seen. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Right? Love that. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is what? The image of God should shine on them. Listen, Jesus came, and this is who John is writing about, the Apostle John, to eliminate the truth, to eliminate it, to make it seen, right? We know that light exposes the darkness, and the darkness here, the pastors didn't understand it, right? Like, the, the world, when it's in its darkness, or it's, it's not born of the Spirit or born again, does not understand the light. Sometimes doesn't even understand the gospel, doesn't understand the truth of the gospel because they're still in the dark. They can't see what it is. They can't understand it. They cannot comprehend it. The Bible gives warning that some people hear the truth but never come into the understanding of the truth, 
right? They, they keep hearing it or hearing it over and over again, but they seem to can't absorb it. They're still in the, they're still in the darkness, right? And darkness was, was on the earth for three hours, to, and, and, and darkness tried to extinguish lights, but the light of the world defeated darkness. Uh, I grew up, and I had posters in my room, like young teenagers have posters, you know, and, and I, I, I got in a, uh, you remember the, the, those black lights? Come on now. Remember the black light, the fluorescent lights, right? I used to put them in your room. I had the dark lights, the fluorescent lights in my bedroom. Then you had those fluorescent posters, right? And, but the thing about those black lights is they would expose all, everything, your lint in your field, your dandruff, everything's on your bed, everything's on your wall, You're not, those little specks. You know what I'm talking about? Come on now. You know what I'm talking about? All right? Let me tell you, let me tell you something. The light of God exposes our flakiness, our sin nature, our, our, our imperfections. The light came to expose the darkness. It came to expose the sin. See, see, light is not simply the absence of darkness, but spiritually is the enemy of darkness. And darkness is not simply the absence of light, but the enemy of light. Listen, God, this light came to reveal some things to us. We had to turn on the lights to see the mess in our rooms. God turns on the light to see the mess in our own lives. Not to leave us in our mess, but to help us clean up the mess. It's not those who help them. God doesn't help those who help themselves. That's, that's a lie. God came to help us clean up our mess because we couldn't clean up our mess. He was the power to clean up our mess. And so the word was in the beginning. Right off the bat, John says, I'm a plain shooter. I'm a straight shooter. If you read all his, in fact, if, for a while when you read his, his writings, you think that John is harsh. Like you think that is writing, but as you study his work and his writings, he moves from, from the law to love. He, he, you see him talk more about love than he does about hate but he has to speak the truth in love. And so we see that in the beginning, that the word was, that God was in the beginning. Here's the second thing, if you're taking notes. God introduced, God is introduced as the true light. There's an introduction to Jesus by a man named, not the author of the book, but John the Baptist. John is going to introduce John the Baptist here in the story, in the narrative but introductions are so important. When you go to an interview, you want to have a good impression your first time, right? It's the beginning of introducing who you are. I, I remember when I first got saved. Some I, mean, I don't know where I got it from. I got this little card. And I had it for years. And the reason on this card, I had it pinned on my wall in college. I had it pinned when I was living before I got married. It says, if you meet me and forget me, You've lost nothing. But if you meet Jesus and forget him, you've lost everything. Listen, listen. John is writing here, and he's going to introduce John the Baptist, who's going to introduce Jesus into the world to people, to the Jews and Gentiles. Now, he's predominantly doing a Jewish, a Jerusalem ministry in that region. And what's beginning to happen is he's beginning to invite and explain who Jesus is. That's what he's doing here. Because at that time, already as, as Jesus come on the scene and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, he's really going to begin to deal with the issue of Arianism, which didn't believe that Jesus, what God could be in the flesh. That, that physicalness of Gnosticism means that God couldn't have been without sin because he was human that the human nature is sinful. So how could God be sinless if he had a human nature? But yet God was without sin. We know that. And so there was all this theology. So John is kind of trying to help people understand, no, God is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh and he is without sin. And so we see here the introduction of John the Baptist and John's beginning to bear witness of who God is in verses 6 to 8 and verse 15. And we're going to see Jesus. Here's the second title. Jesus is the light, right? We see him as the word. That's the first title. Now we see him as the light, as the second child. And we're seeing there, look at this, six through eight, and then verse 15, it says, there was a man sent from God 
whose name was John, and this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. Verse 15, John bore witness of him who cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Mm. So now we see the introduction of John the Baptist, this radical, crazy prophet, PK kid. He was the son of Elizabeth and Zacharias. So if you know the story, they couldn't have babies, right? It's a miracle story. Zacharias goes in the temple to serve as a priest. He gets a word he's going to have a son. He's like blown away. Can't say he can't speak. So God mutes him because he wasn't sure if he even believed it. Comes out and for the whole time of his wife's pregnancy, he doesn't speak, right? God muted him. Elizabeth has a baby, right? In fact, John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb when Mary is pregnant with Jesus and they come see each other and it says that the womb, John leaped in Elizabeth's womb. They were, they were related. This is the John that was the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Christ. He was invited people and crying out. One crying out the window saying, I'm going to tell you who this Jesus is. He's the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. This is the crazy dude. Wore camel's hair. Ate wild locusts and honey. Like, he would have been seen like the guy with the sandwich board on the street with the crazy hair. Like, he looked like Einstein. You know what I mean? He was that guy that God had chosen to be the forerunner, to be the introducer to the one to talk about a new kingdom. This is the John that John is writing about, right? In fact, the word John means gracious giver. He's coming to proclaim this greatest gift, which was Jesus. That's John the Baptist. And John, the prophet and priest, had a mission, right? His dad was a priest, so he was a PK kid, okay? He grew up in a, in a, a religious home, right? And John was God's agent of faith, yet Christ was the object of our faith. And he spoke to people about God, and he spoke to God about the people. That was his role. That was his mission. And he came to tell people about who God is, who Jesus was, that they might believe, it's God's desire that all be saved, right? God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but desires all to come to repentance. And so whoever believes shall be saved. That's the promise of the scriptures. He is a, he is a humble witness, bringing truth about who Jesus is. When we share the gospel, we do it humbly. We're not, we don't do it argumentatively. We don't do it throwing stones. We don't do it being judgmental. You share your life and actions with those that need to hear about Jesus. This week, I had a had problem with my phone, so I had to go get a, go to a Verizon to get a new phone. And so I, I meet the lady who was serving me there, and we're talking, and and then she's we're talking, and I tell you, yeah, I'm a pastor like that. She goes, I don't know when you say you're a pastor, something happens. She starts talking about this day she's had and how bad it is and her family and all these different things and everything. I'm like, wow, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, so I'm just, I'm starting, we're in the right store. I'm starting to minister to her. Like, you know, I'm sorry to hear about your kids. They change a the thing. They're all the stuff with, with a mask and the schools and times and all these different things. And right there in the moment of Verizon, we're having a moment with God at the Verizon store. Listen, listen, that's the fluency of the gospel. I know we come to church and we hear about the gospel, but the fluency of the gospel is living it every day among people and talking about God in everyday circumstances. Like, I didn't give her the four spiritual laws. Jesus loves you, died for you, woes again, blah, 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 and then repent. Right? And she didn't fall out of her seat, get slain in the spirit, whatever it is. But I begin to love on the woman that she'd understand love of Jesus, that she'd be drawn to Jesus. Isn't that how Jesus kind of did the, when he met with people, he just hung out with them? He started to look like them and smell like them. He started to smell like the sheep. Listen, that's who we are, right? We're to hang with each other. Guys, I want to encourage you, don't run off, don't run off out these doors when service is over because we have a meal to go. Hang with each other. Get to know each other. Pray for each other. That, that's what we're called to do. That's still doing church. I'm telling you that. We think this hour to whatever we gather is church. No, this is part of church, but this is not. The church is us that brings the kingdom wherever we go. 
That, that's, that's the church, right? We are to be witnesses. We are to bear witness of who God is. And we leave the judgment to God, right? I, I, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not, I'm not here to, I'm going to point you to Jesus. That's what I'm going to point you to. We're going to talk about that in a moment, right? Because what? But here's the humility of John. He says, I'm not the one. I'm not the light, right? I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the true light. I'm sharing about the true light, but I'm not the true light. See, God wants us to be the light in this dark world. Listen, I want you to hear this. God wants us to be the light, but he doesn't want us to be strobe lights. That's, that's, that's the discos, okay? We don't, we're not to be on and off. We're to be the light, right, in the darkness. I think what is happening, maybe because of who John was, they're starting to put John the Baptist on this pedestal, right? They're like, oh, I'm not the one. Let me tell you about the one, right? And he pushed people away from that thought. And we later were studying John chapter 3, verse 30. He goes, I must decrease so he can increase. The famous verse. The humility of John the Baptist. And then when you look at verse 15, I come that together because it's part of his proclamation. What is he saying there? Like, Jesus was before me. Oh, what is he saying? Going back to the beginning of John 1, 1, right? The appraised. He was, though John was older than Jesus by six months biologically, Jesus was older pre-existed before John. He's saying, he was before me. So what he's proclaiming that Jesus is God in his own words, that he is the pre-existent God. That's what he's saying here, right? He was before me and existed before me. Though I'm his cousin, he was born before me in a sense. I was born after him, before him, but he was really before me, is what he was saying in that. And so as John comes and we read the gospel of John and John's proclaiming this. We have to understand this. We are born without excuse. That every man will not have excuse why they can't know God. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, that, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. Listen, humanity has the capacity to know God. Humanity has the capacity to know God. Humanity will have every opportunity to know God. Even if we don't proclaim the gospel, God might just use the rocks to proclaim the gospel. God will use this creation to proclaim the gospel. And the gospel will be preached to the, the whole world. The true light will give light to everyone. That doesn't take away the fact that we're called to go. We're called to preach. We're called to share. That doesn't take away our responsibility. You always get that question, well, what about all those people in the far jungles that never hear the gospel? Will they go to heaven? Will, will they be just? You know that question that always, people always pose, pros. Listen, if God used a donkey to speak to a man, surely he could use other things to speak to men. God will use whatever he needs to use to speak to to men, right? Listen, we just need to begin to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to put your faith into action right now in the sense of this. Tuesday, you're all welcome to join me. A bunch of churches are gathering Tuesday for lunch up at Mount Soledad. And we're gonna pray for our city. Churches from all the county are getting together for lunch. We're going to go up to the top of the mountain and look over the city, and we're just going to have a prayer time. Because we first, before we can share with the city, we want to pray for our city. Okay? And then when we pray for them, that's, that's this Tuesday. The following Tuesday, we're going to walk our neighborhood praying. And for this month, we're going to say, every Tuesday at 12 o'clock, we're going to walk down Orange, we're going to walk all the way around here, and just pray for our neighborhoods. Praying for God to open up doors. That's what we want to do, right? And then we want to connect them to Jesus. We want to connect them to scriptures. We want to connect them to the community. We want to connect them to those things. But let's just, first of all, get all our doors and just start praying. I think it starts there. There's nothing fearful about praying. For those who might have a hard time sharing, let's start talking with God first. And maybe God might just give us boldness to share. Come on, come on. Let, let's start there first, okay? So I want to invite you. You can meet me here. 
I'm going to go up that mountain by 12, so we'll meet here about 1130. Go up about 12. If you want to join me, I'll get the van. We'll all go up if you want to come. All right? So let me know. But we need to put to action, right? But we know that creation speaks about who Jesus is. I talked about that, right? It's interesting that he came and they didn't recognize him. Jesus came in the flesh and they didn't recognize him. It says his own didn't recognize him, right? In fact, someone say, isn't, isn't, isn't that the carpenter's son? They would say stuff like that, right? I think people too today even overlook Christ. They just don't see him, right? The culture, the environment, they just can't see him. But I find it very interesting that demons knew who he was. Creation knew who he was, right? When he spoke, creation listened. But men don't know who he is. That's a scary thought, right? For, for the since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power, Godhead, so there they are without excuse. Man, when they, men stand before God, they're not going to say, oh, I didn't know. Did you see the sunrise? Did you see the sunset? Who created that? Right? Who held the shores so they don't want the floor to flood? Right? Who allowed the stars? God. My creation speaks of who I am. But humanity rejected him. We see that in verse 11, right? This ministry to the Jews. He came to his own, his own Jewish people, the lost sheep of Israel. He came to them. And they did not receive him. And they crucified him. <laughs> I think people still say there's no room for him in the inn. You still have that heart. But John's writing about how we can receive him. When you jump to verses 12 and 13, there are some that rejected him, but they tell you about those who receive him. And we see that in verse 12 and 13. I mean, 12 and 13 says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I hope you, if you have notes and you have a Bible, underline those two verses because those verses are crucial of how one comes to faith, how one becomes born of the Spirit or, or born of God. He must believe and receive. He must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, was buried on the third day and rose again for the forgiveness. And he must receive Christ. He has to receive the gift for, to come inside to be born of the Spirit. That's, that's, that's the, the steps, and that's the, that's the miracle. We, we sang a song, there's a miracle going to happen today, right? That, we, we sang a song, there's a miracle is happening right now. You know what the greatest miracle is? It's not that somebody could arise and walk. The greatest miracle is salvation. Because Jesus was dead in, the, I mean, Lazarus was dead in a tomb for three days. Jesus resurrected Lazarus, but if you read chapter 12, after he resurrected in chapter 11, they wanted to kill Lazarus again. What's good if I raise you up from your sickness? What if I pray over COVID? What if I pray over cancer? What if I pray and you get healed, but you don't know Jesus? You may be well, but you're still lost. The greatest miracle is salvation. And so believing, and everybody believes, oh, I believe God. The Bible says demons believe God. He's God. Believe is not the whole thing, just because you believe doesn't make you a believer. I go to, you know, just like going into McDonald's don't make me a Big Mac, all right? You know, the, the, the reality of all this is that there's a, there's a process of receiving, right? Because when we believe and receive, there's a supernatural transaction that, that takes place, and now we become, it says, we become the children of God. Which leads us to believe that the natural birth doesn't make you a child of God, but the spiritual one does. Right? You heard it said, born twice, die once, born once, die twice. Some people say, what does that mean? <laughs> you may not understand what that means. Born twice means I'm born, of the, I'm born physically, physical birth, we have birthdays, and I'm born spiritually. Which means I only have one physical death, which we all will experience unless the rapture comes but then we have life eternal with Jesus. But if we only have our physical birth and don't have a born again birth, then we die physical and spiritual. So if you have two births, one death, you have one birth, two deaths, 
you get to choose which one you have, right? But you have to understand that the work of being born, of, born again or born of the Spirit is the work of God. It's not the work of man. It's not our efforts. It's not what we can do. That's what verse 13 says, right? Who were born not of the blood. Hey, just because my parents might be believers doesn't make me a believer, right? We're not born into the faith by genealogy of physical genealogy, okay? God has no grandchildren. He doesn't have grandchildren, right? You might be born into a family of believers, but until you call on the name of Jesus, you're still separate from God, okay? So first of all, you, you're, you have to come to that confession, even though your family might have be that. Here's the second thing, nor the will of the flesh, right? You cannot work for your salvation. You cannot try harder to be good. Your, your strength, the Bible says, when we are without strength, God died for us, Romans 5. When we were weak, he died for us, like, it's not try harder, it's not to have a stronger mind, it's not to do good, it's not to be generous and try not to do bad. That's the work of the flesh. I'm trying to be a good person. Okay. How about, nor is it the will of man. Like, this is a hard one. Parents, I'm going to speak to the parents because we as parents, you know, we're praying for your kids that know Jesus. You know Jesus. You want them to know Jesus. And they're out there doing their thing, right? And you're like, you're, you're nagging them. You got to do this and you got to do that. And you got to go to church and you got to, you know, da, da, da. You can't be da, 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 da. Look it. They're not born of Pete. They're born of God. Sometimes we want them in our image instead of in God's image when they're born again. We pour into our children. We pour into them faith issues. We pray for them. We could do that. We don't chorus, chorus them into the faith. We don't guilt them into the faith. We don't do anything. We got to be careful with these things. The only one who brings salvation is God. You're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. We're just the witnesses, and we bear witness of his truth, and we pray for them, and we trust that the faith of our faith and the Spirit of God are coming together to work in the heart of those, your friends, family, children, grandparents. Man, I've been praying for my parents for 40-something years before they got saved. And I, I, I wrote them letters. I sent them tracts. I did all that stuff, man. They're like, they just got mad at me. I said, Lord, I'm just going to pray. When you open up the door, I'm just going to bear witness of who you are. And that's exactly what happened. We can't coerce them. But it says here, you have to be born, what? You have to be born of God or born of the Spirit. God is the one who makes us born again. That's the work of God. Guys, be careful with how we treat one another. Maybe we're like, man, that person says he believes in God, but then he lives like a hellion. Well, there's some issues there. Yeah, I understand that. We need to pray for them. We need to come alongside them. That's why the Bible says correct one another gently. All right? Gently. Right? You know, speak of the truth in love, not hate, not I told you so, not I want to get even to you, not to shame you. The Bible says, what if you believe in it, you'll never be put to shame. That was the words of God. God wasn't, he saw our mess and didn't come to shame us. He came to love us and bring us into a place. Guys, I'm going to run out of time here, so we're going to close, we're going to get into the last point here. As we close 14 to 18, God became flesh for our sake. 11, 14 through 18 here. This long grace is a, is a hard thing, right? They're, they're almost polar opposites, right? We like the law when it's our fav when it favors us, but we we need grace when it fails when we fail at the law. Okay, the law kills and grace gives life. Think about this for a moment. When Moses went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and then he came down glowing. He came down from the mountains, and the Israelites, the Jewish people, were worshiping the calf. Right, three thousand people because of their sin died that day. Go thousands of years later. Jesus goes to a mountain. He dies, resurrects, pours the spirit on the church. Peter preaches and 3,000 get saved. The law kills, grace gives life. So I, I want you to see that here because you can talk about here that Jesus came in a minute full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. That first of all, that the presence of God was, it was in the flesh, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14, and we beheld his glory, glory only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, the word there, the word, the logos became flesh. 
Jesus became human. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming to likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of man. Nobody has ever seen God. It says, if you see God, you will die. And then Jesus comes. And we see God in Jesus. God had a purpose in his coming, right? The humanity of God, God in the flesh, in the human man, right? And he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. Emmanuel with us. God is with us. Jesus always wanted to be present with us. He is the with us God. He's not the absentee father. Jesus is not absent in our life. He's with us. He promised that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know that he'll never leave you, forsake you, even when you're doing your mess? He's still there. He'll never leave you and forsake you. And what? You'll beheld my glory. We know that what? We know that Peter, James, and John beheld Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus transformed into his spiritual body and they saw Elijah and Moses. We know that they beheld his glory after the resurrection when they're in a room afraid and scared because they didn't know what was happen after Jesus was killed. They hadn't seen him. And he appears in a room, right, with them. And they're like, whoa. And he walks through a door without opening up the door. We know that he's glorified when Thomas says, I ain't going to bleed until I touch him. And then he appears before Thomas a week later and, and Thomas touches his wounds. And Jesus says, blessed are those you believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe and have yet not seen. We see God's glory, his beauty, his transformation, right? And John, at the end of his life, would testify of this. He writes in 1 John 1, 2, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, logos of life. The life was manifested. We've seen it. We have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. We have seen him. How have you seen Jesus today? How have you seen Jesus today? Because he's full of grace and truth. The word full means he's completely perfect with grace and truth. Jesus lacks nothing. The gospel of grace, we are saved by grace. We are covered by grace. That's God's generosity. God's generosity right there in our lives. Full of grace and truth. But he speaks the truth. God speaks the truth because he wants us to walk in the truth. The, the loving thing you do as parents is you tell the, your kids the truth. You know, I, we were laughing because growing up, not growing up, but we were parents, young parents. You know, what do you do with Santa Claus? Right? You tell your kids about Santa Claus when they're young. And then they grow up and find out that there is no Santa Claus. Liars! All of you are liars! <laughs> Julie and I told him no Jesus is the gift giver we celebrate the birth of Jesus and he's the gift gifter we used to sign it Jesus on the Christmas cards and things so he's the one that comes and he's the one that is full of grace and truth we tell to speak the truth in love we talk about the truth but the purpose of God in his flesh is here in verses 15, 18. So John bore witness of him who cried out, saying, this is, was he who said, I, he who comes after me is preferred before me, and he was before me. And of the fullness we have all received, grace for grace, for law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, only begotten of Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, and he declared him, and he has declared him. God has supplied unmerited grace, unending, unmerited grace grace we see that in 15 through 17 right the law all the law can do is reveal our brokenness our sin but God transforms us and grace is provided by faith in Christ right it's God's generosity the law came by Moses grace came by Jesus they each gave us something right he in the ages to come might show exceedingly riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus man God just is a gift giver and you know what God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, the scripture says. The law just pointed about how jacked up I am. I'm jacked up. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Grace upon grace. That's un and there's no end to it, right? Right. I can only imagine when he was feeding the 5,000s with the fish tacos on the beach. They just kept looking in the bag like, dang, where's your stuff coming from? Everybody was getting it, right? It was unending, right? 
And it says everybody was satisfied. In the spirit, God's grace satisfies us. It satisfies us. That's what it does, right? And no one has seen God. We know that is in the scriptures. It says here, but Jesus came that we might see God, that we might see God. Because in our sinful nature, we can never see God in his purest form because we're unholy and he is holy. If we do, man, we would just be destroyed. We know that Moses saw the backside of God. Scripture says, right? It's the closest anyone has come to seeing God in his purest form. Read that Exodus 33, 18 to 23. But Jesus is a unique son. He's the only begotten son. And it was this, I love this. And I want to close with this. I want you to see this, the intimacy of God. It says, no one has seen God anytime, only begotten Father, who is the bosom of the Father, he has declared to him. I, I, I hope you see the bosom. It's like Jesus, almost like leaning into um, God, his Father, like the bosom. Like, Brent, you just have your little boy that was born and your son's in your bosom. You're holding him close, right? Because you're the Father and he's the Son. Now, remember who's writing this? John the Beloved who at the communion table was on the bosom of Jesus, drawing near to Jesus. So he's writing out of his own experience of intimacy and love. Guys, may we be at the bosom of Jesus. May we be in the presence of his love. May Jesus, my wife talked about rest. We rest in the bosom of his presence. That's what he's talking about. That's who he's declaring right now. So we close with these three thoughts. And Brent, the worship teams that come. First of all, we have to understand that we have a God. John is writing that we have a God who is eternal, right? Pre-existent, right? Called with the Father, self-existent God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the words of God, and he was in the beginning with God. Number two, we have a God who gives light to life to everyone. We have hope because God has made a way for everybody to know him. And lastly, we have a God full of grace and truth. Grace, when we stumble and we fall, God's not keeping records because love keeps no record of wrong, but he provides grace, but he's going to speak the truth. Brothers and sisters, he's going to say, no, go this way. Sin no more. Go this way. That's the truth. Amen. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings. We thank you for all that you're doing, God. And we ask this morning, your hand upon your people, Lord, as we're going through this gospel, Lord, this good news of John. I pray this morning that you'll continue to lead us and guide us through it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.